Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Oh, the Lord is good, even when things don't work the way you think, right? We want to pray for the tech guys because we goofed up on our part, and it'll make it look like they did. So my wife brought along her flash drive, and it apparently has the, the missing PowerPoint that we wanted to show later on. So the Lord put on my heart this morning to, uh, to kind of open with the Abrahamic covenant. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to look at the first three verses because it's foundational to everything that we do in the world of mission. Uh, and it's not something that I frequently have heard as we've traveled around and been in different churches. It's, it's the relationship. And Connie and I have become famous for if you ask us how we are, we will respond, I'm blessed and favored of the Lord. And there's a lady in our church that corrects us and says, don't forget deeply loved. And we do that in the foreign countries with people when we go all over the world. And it's interesting to see the way they respond. The, the most fun we have is at Walmart and Sam's and gas stations as we travel to, to just tell people, I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. And they look at me. Well, it emanates from this Abrahamic covenant. So in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. I will make you, oh, excuse me, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's a reminder and a faith confession for us to say that we are blessed to be a blessing. And that's the basis of all missions. We know that God did something so amazing, so fantastic and supernatural in our lives that we can't keep it to ourselves. I I remember driving to work on that same I-5 that I talked about this morning, and there was a guy in a Firebird, real nice one, kind of like the one in, uh, what was that show where uh, Burt Reynolds drove the... Smokey and the Bandit. It, it was kind of like that one. And he's, he's driving by me, and flames are rolling out under his car. And I rolled down my window and speeded up, and I'm going, hey, your car's on fire. And he told me how old he was with his fingers, you know. And, and I speeded up a little more, and I go, no, really. There's huge flames underneath your car. You probably got a gas line broken. And he's listening to me, and we're driving about 70 miles an hour in traffic. And he just floored that thing and left my little Toyota in the dust. 
And I thought, Lord, a week ago, before I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, that was me. I wouldn't listen to anybody telling me anything, and I was a mad, angry guy. A week later, we went to a Sandy Patty conference. One of our friends said, we want to take you to this conference. She's fantastic. And I hate crowds and traffic. Long story there. But we were in the car with our friends. They were driving. We were in the back seat. And I found myself singing choruses that I'd just learned instead of cursing out the people that were in front of me, keeping me from getting where I wanted to go fast. And I knew that I knew that I knew that I'd changed, that the Lord had blessed me and, and changed my life. And when you think of all the people on, that God created on this earth, his creation, that have never had the opportunity to know what I found and you found if you're a believer, you got to do something about it. Some way, somehow. You can't sit still. We are blessed to be a blessing. In missions, we call our blessing that we receive at the time of salvation, the blessing of the Holy Spirit, which a lot of us don't really lean into and learn as well as we could. We travel a lot and see a lot. We work in an evangelical mission agency that, that as long as we don't cause too much trouble for them, they love us. But a few years ago, they didn't allow people that spoke in tongues to be a part of their organization. And God did an amazing thing. They have branches in Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore. Now we've got China. We've got South America. And all of those branches came together because the African brothers said, we're going to have to drop out of the international organization. And they said, why? They said, because in our Bibles it says, do not forbid the speaking in tongues. And all these people that had hardline for years didn't have an answer to that. And they've found the blessing. Trust me, a lot of them have found the blessing over the years. When you go overseas, you find denominational barriers go away, and it's all about Jesus and getting the word out, taking your blessing, the top line, and the bottom line of all ministry is being a blessing to others. There's a lot of ways to do it tonight. We're going to share some of those. And so I wanted to kind of give you the foundation scripturally Everything that's done in missions is done because we've been blessed and, and, and people don't know and they won't know unless we go and tell them. Amen? So how would we do? Did I find it? Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> so as he's saying, uh, this, this passion for God has just always been there for us and driven us in missions. And so when we had to come off the field... Uh, we knew we had to stay in missions. We had to find a way. And Kelly often shares about that we really felt God had called us to have a foot in the charismatic faith movement and in the evangelical so that we could help be a bridge with others to bring these groups together. And so we have found uh, through the years God has used us a lot like that. And so we praise God 
that uh, pioneers opened their door for us. For a long time, for several years, we were the only charismatics in uh, the office uh, until they hired a couple others. They call us mystical. (laughs) (laughs) But overseas, there's a lot. Because as they get over there, they see the spiritual realm is a lot more alive, more obvious than uh, what they have seen when they were here in the U.S. So... Tonight we're going to get to see the, the film that we didn't get to, the video that we didn't get to see for Passion for God to help you really get a heart for Pioneer's vision and Passion for God. We have nine core values. This is number one. It's our main one. When you walk into our lobby of the new building, there's a, a, a big round circle and we call it the compass, 380 degrees, but Big words in all of the core values are written there, but the largest ones when you first walk in is passion for God because it's foremost. But as you're watching this video, I want you to watch for a special lady. She's blonde, blue eyes. She's working in a Muslim country. She'll have a head covering. You'll see her. It's a little on into it, but she was martyred about six years ago. So five years ago, when we, it was her, the fifth anniversary of her, the loss of her, uh, her parents came to Orlando, and we did a dedication of one of our office buildings. And we n- renamed the building in honor of Cheryl. And so this building is now called the Beckett Center. And so when you see her, she was working uh, with a group, a medical group, that had gone on a trip up into the mountains to hold an eye clinic. And when they came down, they were ambushed, and all of them were killed, except for the translator. And so uh, you'll notice her, and you'll see her passion for God really shines through. You'll hear her say these two words, recklessly abandoned. And she's talking about being recklessly abandoned to God. And uh, her father's... uh, her father is a pastor. It was a great loss for them. And so you'll see how special she was. Okay. So following this, we do have a PowerPoint that will give you some of the statistics, the numbers uh, that help also explain some of the things that we're doing at Pioneers. So this is the big picture. And the first, first slide will show you what our staff looks like. So this is the, above these people is the compass. So they're standing in the ring there. We call it the explore ring. And the, the ring that goes around there are interactive displays that help explain to people what are unreached people groups. And the history of pioneers And it also explains the five major religious groups that we work in. And so you can go around, and there's one section that's just for kids. And uh, it's it's really quite quite creative. So there's about 160 people on our staff. Not everybody works in the office. We have a mobilization team that's probably our largest team. And they're spread out through the U.S. because they go to conferences and universities to uh, recruit 
So, uh, and then we also have missions mentor groups. And their sole thing is to talk to people who are thinking about going. And they just continue working with them to see if, okay, is this really what God's calling for, uh, for me is. So they walk through that with them by phone. So the next slide is our campus. So we just uh, opened our new building, a new facility, uh, two years ago. We have 50 acres in Lake Nona. We're out there by Wycliffe and Crew, which used to be Campus Crusade. So all three of us are out there in the same area. And so uh, we're on a lake. God has really blessed us with this property. Uh, Pioneers was founded in 1979 by Ted and Peggy Fletcher. And he was a businessman. He was the national sales manager for Wall Street Journal. He had a heart for passion and a passion for missions. And he wanted to go. And he applied for him and his family to go with several different agencies. But he got rejected from everyone, one letter after another, reject, reject. And their whole excuse was, you don't have a theological degree. You, you have too many kids. They had four. You, uh, what was... And why waste your talent? Why not just stay in the business world and make money and give it to missions instead of trying to go yourself? So a friend of his said, listen, why don't you just start your own agency? You can make your own rules and you don't have to follow what they're saying. So he did. And that was 1979. And in the early 1990s, they moved to Orlando, Florida. They were in Sterling, Virginia, started in a church moved to Orlando, and it has grown. And so, next slide. This is our uh, mission statement that we talked about today. Pioneers mobilizes teams to glorify God among unreached peoples by initiating church planning movements in partnership with the local churches. So those are our main distinctives. You're not going to go as a loner. You're going to go on a team, or you're going to at least be starting a team. You're going to be doing church planning. And church planning is planning a church that's going to plant churches. So it's a movement. And it's not just stopping with you. It's going to grow. And so church planning, you're on a team. You're going to the unreached. We're going to the difficult places where most people aren't going. And you're doing this in partnership with the local church. Everybody has to have a sending church. If you don't have a sending church, that's your spiritual covering you're not going to go with pioneers. So those are our main distinctives. The next slide. This, these are our, our statistics. So we have, as Kelly said, we are international, and we have mobilization bases all over. Uh, and so in New Zealand, they're sending out New Zealanders. So, so uh, many of our teams are mixed. So you could be on a missions team with someone, with a, a guy from New Zealand, from Asia, from Africa, and then you're reaching out to these Chinese people. <laughs> so uh, it's definitely cross-cultural. So we have 18 offices and mobilization bases all over the world, and there's 3,200-plus 3, members in the international group. So we have 354 teams spread out into 104 countries. They're working in... 297 
people groups. These are unreached people groups. And they're working in 227 different languages. So, and that partnership with the local church, we have 3,600 churches that we work with. So those are the, uh, some of the statistics. The next slide. This is the chart that shows you the different religious groups that we're working with. What percentage of our teams and our workers. So Muslims, 43%. Next is Buddhist. And then the Hindu and the non-religious. And so you can see the breakdown there of where the teams are. So the strongest influence, and you know, this all goes by the leading of God because we don't tell people where to go. When they come to Pioneers... Uh, that didn't come out quite right. <laughs> when you come to Pioneers, we want to know what's God calling you to do and how can we help you get there. And so this is God making a movement happen. Just like you're going to see later, we've had quite a movement in Chad where we're, we just have people coming to us. And we've been praying for a long time for teams to go to Chad. And God's doing it. And it's not us, it's God. Next slide. And this shows you where all those teams are, where uh, the number of teams that are in those different places, the, the number of people. Is that te- people or teams? So South America, and then you can see China and, and the upper section. Aus- not Australia, there's not, but up there in the Southeast uh, Islands and Africa. So those are the numbers of where they're located. Next slide. And here, this is back home now in the U.S., and this shows you over the past 10, 11 years how we've grown. So starting in 2009, we had 1,218 Pioneers workers. This includes staff in the home base. And then by 2018, we had 1,805, and this year... We have sent 99 missionaries out so far. We have two more. Let's see. This is October, November, December. We've got two more months. And so uh, we're not done yet. So we're going to break 100 easily. Probably already have. So uh, that number keeps changing as it goes up. Next. And this is our church partnerships team, our brochure that we have. And... One of our main things with working with churches is that we have an event three times a year for pastors, mission pastors, mission leaders, committee people to come to Orlando. All they have to do is pay to get there. We pay for their room and for their meals. We pick them up at the airport, take them back. We we treat them like kings and queens. And they stay right there on our campus. And we have a short event so they aren't away from church long. So we have a Tuesday night welcome dinner and sessions. Sessions all day Wednesday and half day Thursday. Feed them lunch and they're on their way. And it's all about missions, not just pioneers. We introduce pioneers at the beginning, but then it's all about missions. We want to get them on fire for missions. We want to help them understand unreached people groups, the difference between unreached people groups and just lost people. And the difference is these unreached don't have access if they wanted to hear about jesus they can't because they don't know anyone there's no church there's no bible there's no way for them to hear the truth 
where the lost are in places where they could walk into a church or they have a Bible or they could ask a Christian a question. So that, that's what we're trying to help the mission leaders understand from churches and help them with resources. So that's our church partnerships team. And the last slide, to and from the ends of the earth. So that's Pioneer Story. One of the things you'll, you'll see is there's value in the multicultural teams that, that, are, that are being sent out because typically in most of the areas where the Lord isn't dominant, where people don't know Jesus, there's not as much unity. They don't trust one another. And tribal warfare in some parts of the world, and ethnic diversity where they look down on certain type of people and, and discriminate. And so when they see people from different nations come together and put up with the living circumstances and they live in unity together, it gives them a glimpse of what heaven can be. And it's useful. Children are useful. Uh, we were in Nepal doing uh, literacy work, and there was uh, a lady that broke her leg. And one family was there, and they had to walk two days to get to a place where they could pick up a, a bus to get to the annual conference that their denomination had. And they were out in the extreme, and they were ready to quit. And the little boy, they were homeschooling their kids because there was no school, so they were homeschooling their kids using Abeka materials. And he was studying a lesson on how God created the world. And it had a big picture of the mountains. And, of course, in Nepal, you got Mount Everest and all, all the, the, the big mountains of the Himalayas. And, and it's a beautiful place. And the, the little boy's friend came up, and he saw the picture of the mountains. And he said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm reading about our God that mom and dad came here to tell you about that created all of this that you see and you live in every day. And the little boy said, you know the God that did that? Because they're Hindu in that country and they thought some God that we don't know yet did this. And the little boy said, yeah. And you people just keep laughing at mom and dad and we're probably just going to leave. The little boy ran off and talked to his dad, who happened to be the chief of the tribe. And he said, call a meeting. And he said, we're going to find out what's going on. And instead of going to drink that night, the people stayed and had a Bible lesson and learned that Jesus is Lord. And God created all the beauty that, that he lived in and got converted. And then this same little boy probably seven years old, eight years old. He saw the lady with a broken leg that had come to the conference. Because in Nepal, they, they talk about how do you get here and there. They talk up and down. No north, south, east, and west. No right and left. It's up and down. Because everywhere you go, it's up and down when you live in those kind of mountains. And, and the little boy went over and laid hands on the lady's leg, and he prayed for her healing, and it, the whole place just broke down into tears. And it was a wonderful retreat for missionaries that were in a hard place in a difficult time. Two days later, the, the king of Nepal stepped down 
said, I'm no longer the king. We're going to set up parliament and become a democracy. And riots broke out. And we were waiting for a way out of the country. And God provided. We were the only plane that got out that day because we had to be in Calcutta to do another ministry the following day. And we were the only plane that got to leave because the airport, there were blockades, burning tires, and people with sticks and canes pounding on vehicles, and nobody was moving. The soldiers quit being soldiers. That's how bad it was. And we, we hitched a ride with a travel agent who knew the back ways and the alleys, and he got us to the airport, and we were able to get out. God provides. God provides. Those are the kind of things that the people that we work with live with day after day. And seeing how people work in unity despite differences is a huge blessing. Now, there's different ways that your talents can be used on the missions field. And this is one of the things that we're always trying to help people see. And uh, especially in the unreached places, you can't get in there as a missionary. You can't go and preach on the corner. They're closed countries. And so we have to be creative and that means taking your talent and finding a way that you can get a, a legal visa doing something that the government will approve of so that as you build relationships with those people that you're working with, you can have opportunity to share the gospel. Because if they ask you questions, you're allowed to answer. And so that's what you want. You want to stimulate the conversation in a way that you're going to prompt them to ask questions. Now, you can still get in trouble. But not as much as if you're just right out there doing that. But as long as the, the family doesn't get upset, if there's a conversion and cause trouble, you can move along. And so the real thing is to get the whole family saved. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the ways that your skills, your giftings can be used. And I st- want to start out with a story, Whitney's story. And I'm going to tell you this story from Whitney's point of view. Now, Whitney is working in an European city, working with immigrants and refugees, and she's teaching them English. And this is just a short little story to give you an idea. She titled this story, What Am I Doing Here? I sat on the couch in my new Iranian friend's living room, and as I looked at the cloth flowers carefully displayed in jars along the bottom of the window, her daughter leaned across the room and whispered, no, she leaned across the room, she didn't, this is where she said, why, tell me, why do you believe that Jesus heals? Wendy was taken by surprise, and she goes, so she explained in the words that she could best find to explain to her her own experience of how Jesus had healed her. And so that's when the little girl leaned across the room and said, did you bring it? And Whitney said, bring what? The book. You mean the Bible? Yes, the girl said with confidence. And Whitney had to say no, because she said, My whole concept was I was going to my friend's house for the afternoon to have a cup of tea, to talk about life, and to invite this daughter to come to the cafe 
where I had met her mom, and there I thought we would open up into some of these conversations. I wasn't prepared. What was I doing here? Later, she was able to provide a Bible for both her friend and the daughter in the, their own language, in Pharisee. And so they now have their own Bible, and they can find their answers, and God's word always brings fruit. So that's Whitney's story. And there's other ways that God can use your skills besides uh, working with immigrants. And that, that has opened up so great in Europe, here in the U.S., and in Europe, where the, the war-torn countries are driving people out. And so we have a lot of people who are working in those camps and uh, ministering truth to, the, to them. Maybe you like to get your hands dirty. So I'm going to switch here to the next one. Maybe you grew up harvesting wheat, planting corn in the Midwest. Maybe FFA and 4-H projects were the highlights of your childhood. You like? No, you love agriculture. Or maybe a good farmer's market. Or a community garden. Ah, I like gardening. Maybe that would be, I, I could really get excited about helping build a community garden. So these are some of the practical ways that you can use your skills to d- work overseas and develop relationships. For example, Tish and Alan teach sustainable farming techniques while managing an organic farm. They build relationships, they hire people, they start Bible studies, and people get saved. Others on, on teams are managing an orchard, grow coffee, make cheese. They're building bridges by building these relationships with the people they work with. So you'd be surprised the different ways that you can use your skills. God can use them all. To give you an example, agriculture, our first church planting team that we sent in Sumatra in the Ogon people group, we sent them to six months of training in a technique for what they call Uh, salt technique, which is sloping agricultural training, and it's self-sustaining. So it's goats, uh, tilapia, and planting the crops in a terrace particular way so that all of these things build on themselves. And it was a real effective tool that provided food for them, income for them to take products to the market, and they were able to train pastors and others how to do that technique. So you never know what skill you have that God can use on the field. It's a growing trend in missions these days. Uh, I have a friend who has a five-star resort in Indonesia. If you've ever seen the sandals commercials on TV, his place looks better than those. He has 400 workers, all of whom were Muslim in the beginning, And now all but a handful have accepted Christ because he treats his people so honestly that it opened doors for them to say, what's different? Why do you do that? It's like when the tsunami hit in in Aceh years ago, our denomination that sponsored us for our visa and gave us a, a place to work in their seminary, 
they put a big banner up and said, free lunch from Jesus in a country where you couldn't go into that, kind of, that state, that province there, unless you were a Muslim. And the people said, why did the Christians come first and the rich Saudi Arabian nation hasn't sent a penny to us yet? There are brothers in our faith, Islam, but they haven't responded like you have. Why is that? And we said, we were blessed to be a blessing. And a growing trend in missions today is second career missionaries for short-term, long-term, you name it, going over and helping young businessmen learn how to do their trade, uh, taking your skills if you've done uh, a profession. We have accountants that go over and set up bookkeeping and multi-currency and things like that. So there's no way that God can't use who you are uh, if you make yourself available. And we'll take names and and numbers (laughs) if you're interested. Maybe you're more comfortable with your hands on a paintbrush or a camera or a guitar. Or maybe you really like dance. Or just music really makes you glow. Maybe you geek out over art films or documentaries. Or maybe you have a way with web design or social media. These are all ways that we have Pioneer's teams using their gifts to minister overseas and reach out to the people in the country where they serve. We have people who are developing websites so that Muslims will go to the website and find out things that they can get and ask questions without being uh, identified, and then we can take them to the next step. In music, we have people who are developing music in their own native language. So our people are helping them be able to do that where they've never been able to worship God in their own language before because they just didn't know how to do that. So dance is, uh, is at the core of many of, of the cultures overseas. And so you often, when people share you're always going to see someone in their costumes and they're doing special dances. And there's another, that's another place where dance can be used. You saw on the video teachers. So we, always, we have so many needs for teachers. We have, we have places where you can teach missionary kids at the school so that every teacher that, our, that Pioneers provides, we, they will give a visa for another missionary couple to come in. So you are helping a missionary couple come in and serve in a country while you're being a teacher. And so there's a give and take there. And then we have a team in the Horn of Africa who has opportunities for cross-cultural workers who can teach computers, basic uh, business skills, and community health classes. And we also have... uh, We have a couple in Japan who've helped their church launch an English-based preschool. And that preschool is looking for teachers to come, and it's a paid position. You don't always find paid positions in missions, but through business, you can often be uh, providing your own support through the business that you have because you do need to be productive. So now we're going to show you a video 
and the the guys will get that ready. This is a really special video. You want to? There's a lot of countries that are desperate. You're going to see one of the most desperate. And uh, the first teams that went into this area got carried out on French tanks because they had to be rescued because this is like the cowboy shows. Whoever's got a gun or a weapon rules. Uh, And so this is a country of Chad. So we'd like to invite you, if you come to Orlando, to come by and see our campus, see the the place firsthand. I think you'll be blessed. Uh, Sometimes we have space available, uh, and it's a little cheaper. We're about 30 minutes from uh, Disney. Uh, Straight, it's all toll road, though. You have to pay tolls when you come to Orlando. Uh, And and we would welcome you to come and and, uh, get a tour of the place and see for yourself what God's doing. And nearby is Wycliffe Bible Translators. They have a wonderful museum uh, and interactive uh, session. And and the Jesus film that's made by Campus Crusade, now they call themselves Crew, uh, they, they will take you through a series of how they do that. And using computers now, they're able to do new languages faster because they can uh, use computer power to do it. And we have a hotel. Yeah. We've got a Holiday Inn that God placed on our property and, and is turning over to Pioneers for a, an income stream. That's a whole other story. We can, But I want to see if anybody has any questions about missions in general. We'd love to kind of hear from you if you have a question uh, or a concern or a comment. Not used to that, huh? If you've learned something that you didn't know before, we'd like to hear that. Is anybody bold? This is Japanese culture when they say the nail that stands up gets hit. And so when we first started teaching overseas, we asked questions like you do in, in classes here in the States. And what we found is the students would never hold their hand up and volunteer to ask a question. It took a year for them to, to learn that. They could do that with us because they don't question authority and teachers, and they want the teacher to tell them, this is what you believe. This is what you do. Uh, And so we taught him a different way. We said, this is what God says. He gives you a choice. What do you think is the smart thing for you to do? And they learned better. And for the first time, they could openly discuss. And they could even admit, I don't know. And that's a big thing that you have with cross-cultural. Sometimes we see people from other cultures and we we put them in a box. uh, And we're afraid to answer. So if there's no questions. All right. Back okay. There. We have one in the back, too. Oh, no, go ahead. From the back. Um, you said there are people in Japan. Yes, very, very much so. Very good. Very good. Japan is one of the hardest countries to share the gospel uh, because they're wealthy, they're professional, they're very well educated, and they don't think they need anything else. Uh, and so they put up a stone wall, and they talk about their Shinto uh, beliefs and, and traditions, 
very powerful effect in that, uh, that culture. But the bottom line is, it's, it's just like a lot of Christians. In, in Indonesia, we had to put our religion on our identity card, and you had to have it with you all the time. Police would stop you, and you had to show it. And a lot of people, particularly Chinese, put Christian because they were being persecuted at one time. And they put Christian, and that made people stop persecuting them for a, for a while because they thought they were communists because they were Chinese ethnically. And so they began to call those Chinese people that adopted Christian faith just to keep from being persecuted. Christian katepe, it means the Christian identity card only. <laughs> they didn't really believe in Jesus, but they... They use that as an excuse to avoid persecution. Did you have a question? Good question. Very good. How how do we learn to talk to people when we don't know the language? Most of us, the the first step in going to a mission field is at least a year of language study. Uh, And it sounds like a big waste of time, but some of the things we learned in language study changed us forever. We lived in a village. We weren't allowed to have a car, uh, so we rode public transportation. And we learned how do you know where to get off and how do you tell the driver to stop and how do you know how much to pay and, and all these things. And people would help us. And our daily assignment would go something like this. They'd say, we want you to go, our, our instructors would tell us, we want you to go to your neighbor and say, If someone in your family passes away, what's proper for me to do as a foreigner? How should I respond? And so they would tell us, and we would go back and forth, and they would draw pictures and and communicate with us all different ways to help us understand. And over time, we learned new words, and we also learned how they live. And there was a little store... They call him Matoko, uh, about three doors down from us. And the person we rented the house from owned it. He spoke some English, so he helped us a little bit too. But I began to watch people come into the store, and they would, the kids would, dad would send them to buy a cigarette, one at a time, because they didn't have enough money to buy a pack of cigarettes so they'd buy them one at a time. If they needed a, a piece of paper, they bought one sheet of paper, or two if they needed two sheets. They bought one pencil, and they guarded it. And I, at first, I thought, man, that's odd. And then I thought about when we moved, I found things that I bought, like replacement plugs for extension cords or lamps that got damaged, And I bought one, but you can't buy just one. You have to buy a pack of three. And the next time I had one of those plugs break off, I looked around for the two that I didn't use last time, and I couldn't find them. So I went to Walmart and bought three more. And I thought, our society, our culture, is so wasteful in the way we live. And we learned these are people who are doing all they can just to have a meal on the table for their family. They make like $60 a month if they're lucky. 
and they have to pay rent, buy food, and pay for transportation. And so you learn their culture taught us so much about who we are and why we appear rich, even though we weren't ever rich. But in their eyes, we were rich. And once you learn that and learn the language, you know their heart, and you can speak to them about Jesus heart to heart. Connie told the story this morning how Jesus built a bridge from a believer's heart to an unbeliever, and Jesus walked across it into her heart. And that's what it's all about. So learning the language is a real key, key thing. His question is really good because in Chad, like he said, they didn't have anything to learn from like we did. And so you find someone who does know some English, so you need a translator. And then from that point, you just have to act. You go, you jump, and you want them to tell you what that word is for that. You, take, you go like this, they tell you the word. And you point to things, and they tell you it's a chair. And so as you're going, they say, cursey. And so you go, oh, cursey. And then you go, chairs. And they go, cursey, cursey. In Indonesia, they don't put an S or have a way to say plural. They say the word two times. So this is an anak, a child. And then all of these children are anak-anak. <laughs> and then your question about Japan is really good because they do have access to Bibles, mm-hmm. to Christians, and uh, f- very few churches that, uh, that are very small and aren't bold enough to reach out. And so the, the complete definition for unreached is that, that they have to have a church strong enough that they can reach out into their own community without help from an outsider. And their churches are not that strong. So that's why they're unreached. Excellent question. Did you have a question? How old do you have to be to do it? All right. You better watch this kid, Mom and Dad. (laughs) Start training. (laughs) In general, uh, the youngest that, that I've seen that we uh, sent out was 18 and for a one-year uh, type program, internship. Uh, so we want you to get through high school. And a lot, a kind of a trend now is for students that graduate from high school to take a gap year before they go to college. And I think it's a really good idea uh, to, to learn life a little bit before you go to school and try to figure out what you're going to do the rest of your life. And some of them go overseas. And, and so about 18 is probably the cutoff point. So we have a summer edge program that's six weeks, eight weeks, and ten weeks. And you go with a team of others. And so it's mostly college students because to be gone that long, it has to be college age. And then we also have a venture program. Someone who wants to go longer than that because they're, they're really thinking about this, but they really need to know for sure and see what it's like. They go for five months up to a year on this program, six, eight months. They live with a missionary. They do the work. They see what it's like, and they're mentored by the missionary and debriefed before they come back home, and then they have an option to go long-term if they're interested. Good questions, you guys. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Returning to the States. Cross, cult, uh, reverse, reverse culture, culture shock. 
You walk into the grocery store where you've had only little tiny stores where you've got ten shelves. You've got one choice of cereal. And you've lived there long enough that when you come back, you walk down a whole row of, of cereal boxes. It's like, oh my gosh, how do you choose? And so there's, there's all kinds of things that, and you don't expect this. It, it's a real shock. And uh, so the materialism that you've been away from so long will hit you. Uh, so there's... Uh, Another side of that is uh, the Evangelical Missiological Society did a, a study of short-term mission trips, and they found that if the students that went on sh- summer mission trips did not debrief, meet with somebody and, and be able to discuss... Uh, what they experienced and kind of get it, process it and get it out of their system. This is, this is astounding. 76% of them walked away from the church after a, a glorious experience on the mission field because they said it was so wonderful over there and people wanted to hear what we said that when we came back, nobody wanted to hear anything we said. And I'd give up on it. And so they said, if you're going to send people, you need somebody to talk them through what they experience because people are too busy to listen in America. And it's a huge problem. So we have a debrief. Before they can go home, they have to come back to Orlando. And One of my favorite things to do is to sit for an hour and listen to a college kid that just got back and say, I was in Africa. Those people had nothing. I mean, they had nothing. They had two outfits, and she said, I am so blessed, because, but I look at them, they were so happy. They were so joyful, and they loved Jesus, and that's all they talked about was Jesus. And she said, but they had nothing, and they, it, she said, just, we have so much. And so she was really dealing with the uh, excess that we have here. That was hard for her. We don't want to keep you all night, so I'm going to close with this. Uh, Unless the pastor has a good question. Yeah. I was wondering really quickly. Actually, Josiah asked if you could share just briefly about the Don Richardson connection. Yeah. Uh, it, it was interesting that uh, Pastor Scott has, has read these books because uh, they're several years old. Our president at Pioneers is Steve Richardson, who's the son of Don Richardson, who is who just passed away recently from uh, a brain tumor. Uh, but Don is considered one of the top statesmen and fathers of modern missions. He's written several books, uh, and uh, he's, a, he's a fantastic guy. And what Don has done, in fact, was coined this phrase, the top-line blessing and the bottom-line blessing, uh, in his book, Eternity in Their Hearts. Uh, and the connection is, uh, is a deep one in that Don and and, uh, Ted Fletcher, the founder of of Pioneers, uh, engineered the wedding of their their children, uh, and the whole entire family is involved in world missions in one way or another. Uh, And it's a fantastic story. In fact, one of the blonde guys you saw in that that spoke so passionately is uh, another family member, uh, and he... Uh, has suffered bouts twice with cancer and uh, 
and believed God, and God answered, and he's still serving. He's been going 30 years. The The book Peace Child, and there's a movie that's out, uh, is the story of a breakthrough in the tribal people of Erie and Jaya who were uh, cannibals, uh, and they had tribal warfare. Uh, and the way they settled it was giving a, a baby from one tribe to the other as a peace offering. And they had to honor that child, and they called it the peace child. And Don was able to do what we call redemptive analogy. is a phrase that he coined. And it's an analogy that helps people bridge what we find in the Bible with what they believe in their myths and legends. And he said, God Almighty sent his son to you here on earth as a peace child to make peace and make a way for all of you to enter into eternal salvation. And that's the message that he brought that that transformed modern missions into how do we find the key? And he also helped us with another thing, which we call the man of peace. In Acts, it says, when you go into a city, find a man of peace and stay with him. And it could be a man or a woman too. You know, the Bible sometimes is pretty generic. And that's a technique that we use is find someone who's at least friendly and will listen and tolerate your differences. And they will be the key that God uses to open open the way. We could tell you stories all night on things that we've seen God do in our ministry and others, and, uh, but you've got other lives to live. So, Pastor, we turn it back to you, and thank you all for years of support and blessing. It's enabled us and empowered us to empower others. We are blessed to be a blessing because of you. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.